Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to another episode of So How'd You Get Here? I'm one of your uh, co-hosts, Angelo. And I'm Tony. Welcome to the show. Today we have a uh, special guest on. His name is Derek Phillips. Derek, thank you for coming on the show. Dude, thank you guys for having me. I'm excited. Appreciate uh, you choosing to be here on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah, I know, it is doing a Saturday. So right? many other things. Um, <laughs> well, some of our audience only listens, maybe doesn't watch. Would you be willing to, if uh, our audience doesn't know who you are, you know, maybe a little bit of your background? A couple credits? A couple yeah, credits. man. I think uh, probably most recognizable. I was on a TV show called Friday Night Lights for five years. Uh, did a movie called uh, 42 with Chadwick Boseman and Harrison Ford. Uh, since then, I've worked on uh, Longmire, Shooter with uh, Ryan Phillippe. I played his dad in Flashbacks, actually. Oh, wow. Uh, I was also on a TV show, or currently on a TV show called NCIS Hawaii. Uh, I've got a recurring role on that. And then, you know, I'm just one of those actors, I think, that pops up in a lot of stuff. And you might go, I've I seen don't know that guy's something. name, but right. I've seen him in something right, right. before. So I'll take that. I can still ride the subway without getting... You know, yeah, <laughs> recognized, right, 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 right. But so still get to make a like living. Us. Yeah, I get to make. No a one living. knows who we are either. <laughs> I get to make a living and I get to do what I love. Wait, man, you can that... afford the subway? That's <laughs> weird. <laughs> the LA subway. Yeah, the uh, it goes you know, one way. I've never actually been on the LA. Yeah, subway. Neither way. Have... <laughs> um, now, um, I did a little bit of poking around and reading. You started this life in uh, Florida. Am I correct on that? Yeah, man. I was born and raised in Miami, Florida. I, I mean. Oddly enough, I played baseball and football growing up. I uh, went to high school with uh, a guy you might have heard of named Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> yeah. A-Rod. Like, A-Rod used to play for the Mariners, and I'm from Seattle. So, oh, you're so there you go. Yeah. I, th I think you're probably I liked familiar. him until he left, and then he betrayed me. I think that's me. a lot of people. Yeah. Ichiro um, was my new next. Of course. Ichiro's a butt. I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I went to high school with A-Rod, went to like a baseball factory of a high school, and I grew up, you know, I mean, I... I I was into theater when I was in high school. Oh, 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 yeah. I did my first play when I was in kindergarten. What uh, was the play? It was called... And how do we get footage of this for this Dude, interview? I wish there was footage, man. <laughs> uh, I played Peppy Eatwell, the friendly food genie. <laughs> oh. And I literally introduced the food groups. Wait a minute. That's your Instagram handle. I, I was wondering why, <laughs> I wonder why Peppy, I couldn't find you. Peppy Food Genie? Yeah. Peppy Eatwell. Come oh, on, I'm man. sorry. Peppy Eatwell. It, uh, it was yeah. Then second search so option. I played Peppy Eatwell, the friendly food genie. I was a genie, and I introduced all the food groups up on stage, and we had, like, broccoli and a fish. And, like, you know, kids, all their parents made, like, little costumes. And I remember there was this kid, Michael, who, who was, like, milk. You know, and he, he had, like, a big milk box carton thing that they'd made for him. And the kid was going up on stage, and he tripped and fell, and his little legs were, like, flopping in the background. <laughs> Like a turtle. He couldn't get up. He yeah. couldn't get up. Yeah. And so I had to help milk up off the stage. Uh, but, I mean, there was something really special about that. At five years old, I was like, I love this. Nobody in my family does this. My dad's right. a lawyer. You know, uh, my mom was a court reporter or is a court reporter. Um, nobody in my family has ever done any kind of acting or anything like this. So there really wasn't an outlet. So growing up, I was just, you know, I played sports. I played football. I played baseball. Uh, I wrestled and, you know, Ooh, occasionally. What, 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 what class did you wrestle? You wouldn't believe it, man. 103 in high school. Yeah. Wrestled 112 the majority of my senior year and cut down to 103. Wow. But I weighed 125 pounds my senior year in high school. I hit a growth spurt. Like, I was a late bloomer. Hit my Same. growth spurt. Uh, Actually, I'm still so waiting for my growth spurt <laughs> as soon as it comes in. Well, I got taller. You played 125 pounds your, your senior year? Senior year in high school. What did you play in football? The ball? Uh, I was a quarter. <laughs> well, dude, honestly, the, we've talked about that on Friday Night Lights. There's literally a line that I have that I improved on the show where I'm saying to my brother, you know, my brother's supposed to be this stud athlete. Right. right. 
And I grab him at one point, we're in a fight, and I say, you have more talent than I ever had, and I got to sit here and watch you throw it away, and it makes me sick. And that's kind of how I felt being this undersized guy. I loved football. Too. Right, right. I remember my first day of, like, you know, uh, uh, college theater, and the teacher saying, if there's anything else you could do for the rest of your life, what would it be? Because if, if, if there is something else, go do it and find it now. And at the time, I was like, the only thing I could think of was, I mean, I love football. But I was, I was the guy who was too small, too, too slow, yeah. too everything. So anyway, I weighed 125 pounds my senior year of high school. To get down to 103, I had to weigh in at 120 because they do like fat measurements, okay. body fat percentage. And so I had to – we probably finagled this a little bit. I, I know my coach was real adamant about me getting down to 103 because the guy that was in our district that wrestled at 112 was a two-time state champion. So it was like you're not even going to win districts if you don't get down to 103. So uh, I Seems wrestled. not healthy. Oh, it was beyond not healthy, <laughs> yeah. dude. And there's a reason why I think to this day I've got a size 10 shoe and I'm only five foot eight. You know, mm. uh, I think I definitely killed whatever growth I was potentially right, going right, right. to have. You know, I think maybe I had five nine in me. I think I had it. <laughs> I, it was close, man. It was super close. Do and you know just, how I get 5'9"? Just comb your hair. There you go. Up like I do that. that. I do that. And then these yeah. earphones wreck it. They push it back down. Uh, yeah, man. So I, I grew up playing sports. And as I said, like there wasn't really an outlet for, for theater or no one in my family did this. Uh, but I had always enjoyed it. And I got a, uh, the opportunity while I was in high school to, to do a couple of plays. Uh, still not sure if I was any good at this thing. I remember actually in junior high, I wanted to go to this uh, this arts high school or this arts. Yeah, it was. I guess it was a. And you're still high. in Florida at this point. Yeah, I was still in Florida. Yeah. When did the move to L.A. or no, it was New York that was next. New York happened. We'll get to that. Yeah, New York happened after college. So I was still in Florida at this time. My dad, my parents uh, were going to take me out of a public school, put me in a private Christian school at the time. This is where I went to school with uh, A. Rod. Hmm. And I was like, I don't want to go to this school. I had no desire to go to this school. But there was a school called Southwood that had an arts magnet program in, in Florida. And um, I, if you auditioned for that school and you got into that school, you could potentially wind up, you know, being there. You, I wouldn't have to go to, to this Christian school that I was, you know, uh, massively opposed to. Uh, I went in, I auditioned. I knew nothing, man. I knew nothing except that I had had a good experience playing Peppy Eatwell in kindergarten. Uh so I went in there. I did like a monologue. They said you have to have a monologue. I didn't know what a monologue was necessarily. So I just recited Casey at the bat. And it was brutal. Like in hindsight, I look back on this and I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? I did not get into this arts magnet school. And it was like, maybe I'm just not good at this thing. Maybe I shouldn't pursue this, you know. Uh, then did a couple of plays when I was in high school. Um, we did The Outsiders. One of them, I played Pony Boy. Um and wound up getting all this like wonderful feedback from a lot of people. One of them being a person who went to Southwood, this girl that I knew, and she was like, "You're really good. Like you're better than all the guys that I'm in school with right now." And that well, they didn't think so when I was in seventh grade. Yeah, they didn't think so when I was in seventh grade. But by the time I was also, in, I was, uh, man, how long was it from when you bombed to this comment? Uh, I was grown a soft, Yeah, I was in. I went in for uh, to to audition at Southwood when I was in sixth grade. And I think I was a sophomore or a junior when I played. Yeah, you do Pony a lot Boy. of maturing between. A lot of maturing, but yeah. I was also taking theater classes at the school, and we had a really good couple of teachers there that you know kind of that, that taught me things yeah. that I didn't know. And yeah, I mean, I think that you know, it's I've always said that uh, that acting is a little bit like being a running back. There's a natural instinct that you have 
you know, but there are things that you can be taught. You can be right. taught how to hold a football, how to switch arms with a football, what hole you're supposed to run through. But, you know, once the play breaks up, it's all instinct at that point in time. And so I think that there is fundamental instinct, but there are things right. about acting that can be taught. Um, so anyway, I uh, at that point in time, I started really getting good feedback and decided I wanted to pursue it. 100% as a career. But even in elementary school, people were saying, you know, good luck on, on being an actor. Because I guess at that point, I'd already decided that that's what I wanted to do. I just knew nothing about it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I started applying to different colleges. I was, to be honest with you, a little hesitant uh, coming from this small school uh, where we didn't do a lot of plays. Uh, so like the NYU's of the world scared the hell out of me. I was afraid, you know, I'm going to get there and I'll never get on stage. And I thought the most important thing for me getting out of high school was getting on stage wherever I can go to get on stage. Uh, I went around, um, to a bunch of different, uh, colleges. And then, uh, I, there was a girl that I was like head over heels in love with when I was in high school, this girl, Amanda Kelly. And Amanda Kelly. Hi, Amanda. I, hey, Amanda. I, I think I can say hi to Amanda. Amanda and I are still friends. <laughs> Amanda, how you doing? Do you want to come on the podcast next week? <laughs> she can tell you the other side of the story. Uh-huh. So Amanda and I went to visit Baylor together. And Amanda's like, I love Baylor. And I'm like, I love Baylor. And I love you. She's like, this is where I want to go to school. And I I'm love like, what you love. You drink water, I drink water. Exactly. She was like, this is where I want to go to school. And I was like, this is where I want to go to school. <laughs> Have you ever been to Texas before? Were no, like, it's the first yeah, time I've okay. ever been to Texas in my life. Got it. And Amanda and I both went and visited. We went and visited SMU and we visited Baylor. And uh, Baylor was the school that she wanted to go to. And oddly enough, it was the yeah. school I wanted to go no to. No way. Exactly. <laughs> so this is a true story. I'm signing Amanda's yearbook uh, on graduation day and somebody had written in there ahead of me, hey, Amanda, have a great time at Alabama. And I was like, what? <laughs> And we weren't dating or anything. We it's were like just, when, in no. Just Friends when Ryan Reynolds finally yes. says he has the wrong yearbook. Yes, exactly. I so I like I was heartbroken. <laughs> I remember going home to my dad and I'm like, I, I don't want to go to Baylor arts. anymore. And he's and like, What do you mean you don't want to go to Baylor? He's like, We already paid your first semester's tuition. You're going to Baylor. Shut the hell up. You're going to Baylor. You'll meet somebody there named Tiffany. It'll exactly. be fine. Dude, I'm not even kidding. The first week of school at Baylor, I met this girl, Stephanie. And I, you know, we're like in orientation. I had a name Name tag. tag. I'm Derek from Miami. And she's like, my roommate's from Miami. And I'm like, who's your roommate? And she's like, Amanda Kelly. And I'm like, oh, Amanda's not coming. And she's like, oh, because she was. (laughs) But this girl, Stephanie, and I. She's going to Alabama. Yeah, this girl, Stephanie, and I wound up dating for like the first three months of school. And it was like out of sight, out of mind immediately when it came to Amanda. Still love Amanda, like as a friend. But um, yeah, so I went to school at Baylor. I got this amazing education while I was there. Uh, can I ask what the focus was? Theater. I oh, mean, I was a theater, theater major. Okay. Yeah. So did Bay- not that not to cut you off. So obviously the NYU's, the UCLA's, like we Great know schools. we know about their theater program. Yes. Like, did Baylor have a like Believe what was not, their be- like? Baylor's I never... like a top twenty program. Oh, is uh, it? I didn't wow. know this necessarily going in, but I knew when I had visited, so this is what 97? 94, 94 was when okay, I graduated okay, okay. high school. Uh, so I got there ninety four in yeah in fall of ninety four. Uh, immediately like just started working like it's a smaller program and so i some more opportunity yeah i I was in a main stage my first year a lot of schools like at nyu and and a lot of i mean i can't say this 100 percent. i don't know i didn't go to nyu but i had heard stories that like you may get in a main stage by the time you're a senior got it uh and you know right off the bat at baylor i was in a main stage my freshman year by the time i was a sophomore i was in two or three main stages and i really do think there is something about like getting on stage actually doing it there is, 100%. you know, yeah. 
uh, you can talk theory all day long, but the reality is you've got to be doing it. And I mean, by the time I graduated from Baylor, I think I did uh, 16 or 17 main stages. I had performed in 40 something workshops. Uh, and and I, I graduated, I got to play Hamlet my senior year. Um, and I like play Hamlet in Hamlet. And that in and of itself was like kind of this, by the time I got to New York, I graduated and, and moved to New York. I was like, I'm ready for this. Yeah. Like I can do this. Yeah. And I was confident, maybe too confident. Uh, Cause then you graduate and you get out in the real world and you get smacked around a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And you get humbled. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Very quickly. I was actually uh, a good buddy of mine that I went to college with a guy named Mike Schrader called me a couple months back and he was like, dude, He's like, next time you're in Texas, you got to come to my place because I found. He's like, you remember I used to walk around with a, a camcorder all the time, and I was like, yeah. And he's like, I found some of those those VHS tapes, and I'm like, get out, dude. And so I went to Mike's place, and I literally saw some of these videos, and the confidence that I had at 19 or 20 years old. I mean, it's I don't. I, it doesn't make any sense. It's because you don't know what you don't know yet. Right. I looked at myself. I know there's I, a fancy word for that. I can't remember. <laughs> it's the, I had gap teeth, I had zits all over my face, and weighed like a buck thirty at the time. And I was like, Amanda I mean, makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> why she didn't talk to you. So, oh, yes. what, well, you know who Amanda's yes. ex was? Alex, Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> exactly. I guessed. I just guessed. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Alex was like the first pick in the draft, and, you know, I was just some scrub. Yeah. Um, you went last, you got the t shirt. I, I wish. <laughs> um, yeah, man. So, uh, that confidence level that you have at like 19 years old, 20 years old. And then, you know, I played Hamlet and Hamlet. And then by the time I got to New York, I was like 10 feet tall and bulletproof or so I thought. And then, you know, the, the reality about this business is it's a very, very difficult business, man. And I, I moved to New York. I think I probably had like a thousand dollars in my pocket and was like, well, I'm just going to get a job acting fairly, fairly soon. Soon. That's how it happens. And, uh, I think it was, probably a year later that I got my first equity gig, uh, getting paid $400 a week. Mm -hmm. So it was, let's talk about humbling. Yeah. I mean, bartending, waiting tables, uh, getting treated like literal dog shit. Yeah. Uh, not being able to pay rent, living in an apartment. What was that first, what was that first gig? Were you, did you, I know you graduated with a BFA, but did you start taking classes in New York as well? I did take some classes in New York. I was at uh, HB studios for a little bit. Um, but mostly just auditioning, auditioning, yeah. auditioning. Auditioning for anything that you could get your hands on. But didn't even have an agent, didn't have a manager, didn't have anything. So you're, you're literally going through backstage, finding non-union stuff to go out on. Uh, I will say that I was a hustler and I was a go-getter. And, you know, I mean, there were multiple times. Every single day I was going through backstage, highlighting anything, that, anything and everything that I could get my hands on. Even stuff that I wouldn't necessarily do. I would still go in an audition because I felt like, okay, every time that I get an audition, every time that I get an opportunity to be in a room. Yeah, it's practice. That's, Getting a chance yeah, to it's work. It's practice and it's also And a, a, if you don't like that fans. project, you still want to impress the person because yeah. they might call you back for an, another role. Who knows? Exactly. But I was auditioning for children's theater, auditioning for bus and trucks. Uh, my first actual gig that I got in New York, which didn't pay, was an off-off-Broadway showcase, a play called Dirty Day by a, a theater company called Emua. And that was my first um, actual you know, job that I got and got reviewed. And in in, I don't think I got reviewed in the New York Times, but it was like Time Out or something right. like that. You know, but like my first legit New York review. 
Um, and how long was that from you just moved there to the was first review? What was that for? Maybe no, actually, probably about three months. I got oh, that that's gig not pretty too quick. Bad. That's not but too it didn't bad. pay. Right. It didn't pay anything. Right. Still, that's I mean, fast. That's yeah. not bad. I was pretty good. You know, I'm a decent actor. I will say that. You know, I got. Yeah, I'm still some fairly shows. confident. <laughs> uh, despite the fact, why'd your voice business, go high like that? That was business, weird. This yeah. business has taken a little bit out of me, but I'm still. I'm still. Yeah. What um, What made that leap? Like, why did you leave Baylor and like I have to go to New York and not go to LA? It's really interesting, man. So I was. This is a roundabout story. I was uh, in Miami. We, my grand, my mom, my uh, my birth mom passed away when I was a kid. So my grandmother is the one who bought me all my clothes growing up. Uh, she and I would go shopping, and still to this day, I'll come home, and she'll be like, "We need to get you some new jeans." I'm like, "Mammy, I'm 46 years old. I think I think I don't want you picking." <laughs> but up yes, jeans. let's go. <laughs> but we can go shopping if you want to. It's our tradition. So my grandmother and I were shopping in Miami, and there was a uh, thing they were doing a. Um, uh, uh, read a couple lines from Scream Two and get an invite to the premiere, something like that, at the the like a mall, the mall that yeah. we were at. And I was like, I want to go do this real quick. And so I ran over there. I did it. Didn't think anything about it. Like six months went by. Uh, and I got a phone call. <laughs> this is back in the day where I, you know, not before cell phones. They what, called... What's a phone? I've never heard <laughs> exactly. of it. Exactly. Yeah. A landline. Did they send yeah. you a letter? <laughs> yeah. They called the landline of my uh, my uh, apartment in, in Waco, Texas. And my roommate answers the phone. And he's like, dude. He's like, when are we going to L.A.? So I'd won this contest to go to Scream 2. I'd never, I mean, barring Alex Rodriguez, right. I hadn't really been around anyone famous in my life. And we got flown out. Me and it was like you and a friend get flown out to L.A. to go to the premiere for Scream 2 and then meet with a, a, a representative from Miramax. Okay. Uh, I flew out to L.A. with my buddy Chris Price. Uh, the two of us went to this premiere, and it was a whirlwind. I mean, having never really been around anyone famous, and now you're at Grauman's Chinese Theater, you're at a big premiere opening, and it's all the people that you grew up watching on TV. I mean, the whole cast of Friends is there right. because of Courtney Cox, and Friends was the biggest show on the planet at that point in time. Heather Graham was there. I had the most embarrassing moment of my whole entire life with Heather Graham. Uh, Are you allowed to tell that story? I, I, I knew you were going to ask. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you I brought it up. I brought it up. Well, that's uh, my I'm, fault. Our job is to interview you. I don't know. Do you know that? Yeah. What, how so, this works? <laughs> What's that? You want to segue into Heather Graham's story? So, I would love to hear it. Here's the deal. I uh, I was in love with Heather Graham. I mean, I thought she and was Amanda. the most gorgeous. And Amanda, yes. Uh, Sensing a theme here. <laughs> my buddy Chris goes, dude. There's Heather Graham. I mean, you got to go talk to her. And I'm like, I don't, I, what am I, 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 I going to say, dude? I don't have anything to say to Heather. He's like, go talk to her, dude. He's like, you're going to kill yourself if you don't go talk to her. So I walk over and I like tap her on the, she's way taller than me too. And yeah. I like, tap her on the shoulder. She turns around. From my perspective, the way I see it now, she turns around, she's like Shaq's height. You know yeah. what I mean? And she's like, yeah. And I go, she was lovely. She didn't do anything wrong. But I go, dead silence. I really enjoyed you in Boogie Nights. <laughs> oh my you God. had to pick goes, that movie? <laughs> yeah, right? And she goes, thank you. And like turns back around. She was in the middle of a conversation. Turns back around. I look at my buddy Chris. My buddy Chris gives me the thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm go, like, I, I, I still don't have anything, but I'm like, I'm going to kill him. I'm, I'm going to regret this the rest of my life if I don't say something. And I tap her back on the shoulder and she turns around again. She's like, yeah. And I'm like, once again, dead silence. She's staring at me and I go, a lot of people tell me I look like Mark Wahlberg. And she goes, what? <laughs> and I immediately regret 
everything that just came out. I regret asking this question. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Maybe we can cut this from the interview. No, no, yeah. this oh, is, no. This, this is, is the gold. trailer. This is <laughs> absolutely. I'm gonna put a picture of her up and a picture yeah. of you. It's you gotta <laughs> have the picture of me at 20 though, where I actually did kind of look like Mark Wahlberg. If you send it to me, I will. I will it's put it in lovely. there. It's a lovely headshot. It's my first headshot. Yeah, I definitely will. Uh, so anyway, I am just. I can't believe I just said what I said. My face is beat red, like it probably is right now. Um, I turn around, walk back to my buddy Chris, and he's like, how'd it go? And I'm like, dude, I don't ever want to see this person again for the rest of my life. And I have somehow managed, I did a film years later, I had a small part in a film that Heather Graham was in, and I still managed never to see her again. And if I never see Heather Heather Graham again for the rest of my life, it'll be too soon. Um, But anyway. She probably won't remember this. She probably won't remember it. Well, after we send her this podcast, (laughs) she will. You guys have a connection? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Okay. This guy. She's coming on tomorrow. Uh, Oh, great. (laughs) Lovely. Um, Anyway. So my point is, I flew. I went out to L.A. It, that was kind of a whirlwind moment. I was out there with my buddy. It was like a Tuesday or a Wednesday that this premiere. And I remember thinking, if I moved to L.A., I think this town would eat me alive. <laughs> I, I just wasn't ready for it. I also came from a theater background. And I think I was very idealistic in college that, you know, I, I'm a theater guy. Right. I want to go do theater. And uh, I think I realized very shortly after that, that idealism, that uh, you got to make a living. Yeah. Uh, and I had a year in New York where I did three regional theater plays back to back to back, which is really, really not to toot my own horn, but it's a little difficult to do that. You know, uh, that basically means that you're you're working. You were would back in the day, you would rehearse a month and then the show would run two months. And what were you doing? You're doing like four shows a week, five shows a week. Oh, you're doing eight shows. a week. Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah. So you're 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 either prepping or you're performing yeah back so to back. you're doing eight shows a week uh and this was nine months straight of that and i came back from these three shows and i was broke because you have no you're not, you're not making any money i did the winner's tale i did uh 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 glass menagerie and i did of mice and men back mm-hmm. to back to back you play Lenny? three great plays <laughs> yeah right no i did play curly Dang. i played curly um i got to get the crap beat out of me by our Lenny, who was seven feet tall um, Did you wear the one glove? Of course, okay. man. Good man. <laughs> With the Vaseline in it? You know it. Uh, Tony's favorite role. <laughs> but anyway, so like I was doing everything that I was trying to do in theater and I came back and I was, I remember going out to dinner one night and having drinks with some of the cast and I was like, how do you guys make a living doing this? And like one by, because I was like the youngest person in the show. This is when I was doing The Winter's Tale. And one by one, it was like, well, you know, uh, I got divorced 10 years ago. I don't speak to my wife. My child doesn't speak to me anymore. And it was like one by one, these horror stories of like these people who had pursued a career in theater and had no money. They were all on unemployment in between gigs. And it it became fairly obvious to me that like I'm successful right now in the theater world, but I'm not making any money doing it. And as much as I love this, I just don't see this as being an outlet. Uh, and then at that point I was like, I don't know what to do, man. Like, uh, did you have an agent in New York? I did finally get an agent. It took me about a year to land an agent, but they were, I mean, did they send you on like soaps or do they I send did, you on I, commercials? I, like soaps, what are you soaps? Soaps basically. All, all my children. Is what, what? I did all my children. I did guiding light. I did as the world turns. I, I actually had a, uh, there was a casting director, a guy named, if I'm not mistaken, I believe his name was Rob Cena. Um, he was the casting director for as the world turns. Or, or all my children. One of the, I can't remember, guys. It was a long time ago. But he had brought me in numerous times for contract roles on soaps. Uh, and he finally called my, my manager and my agent and said, look, I love Derek. 
but I'm just going to be honest with you guys. There's no way that my bosses are ever going to let him be a contract player on our show. Uh, and I think it, you know, some of it may have been, I'm not, you know, uh, Six five Abercrombie model. Yeah, yeah. and that's kind of what they're looking for on the soaps. Yeah. Uh, so I was the guy who, you know, they would bring me in. I'd play a cop. I'd play a security guard. I'd play, uh, you know, paramedic number one, paramedic right. number two. I jokingly used to refer to myself as the the guy in Pine Valley who couldn't hold a job uh, because I played so many, you know, under five characters on those shows. Right. But it was also a way to supplant some income. And I do think the soaps are a wonderful place to kind of fall flat on your face and learn. Uh, I mean, the first day I was ever on a soap and had lines, you know, the boom swung right into my face and I looked at it and they go, cut. What's up, buddy? You good? And I was like, sorry, I, I just I'm not I've never been on a film set. Before. Yeah. You know, I'm much I, I'm very glad that I got that experience on. Well, that's the another soaps. that's not the that's another thing. Like how you said how you got the Baylor, like you got to learn by doing. Yes. So like if you didn't get those yes. opportunities. One hundred percent, man. It's it's a little nerve wracking, you know, to have a camera yeah. in your face for the first time and to to, to see a boom mic for the first time. Uh, you're not used to it, you know. And so, once again, yeah, the only way to learn is to actually do. So I did do some soap operas. It kind of supplanted some of that, you know, income from from uh, bartending and waiting tables. But I was broke most of my tenure yeah. in New York. And I remember one there was one day in New York. I I'd, I'd had the flu for about a week. The friends that I had that had moved out to New York had all gone and moved back to their you know, respective homes. Uh, and I was like the last man standing out of my group of friends that had moved to New York. And I got the flu. And this is right around the time that, uh, that you could send like a picture via text. And my buddy had just gotten out to San Diego. He was in law school and he sent me a picture of his feet on the beach. He was like, wish you were here. And I was like, what the hell am I doing <laughs> Like, I never particularly liked New York, uh, me, me personally. It was just, you know, as a Miami kid and a guy who went to school in Texas, it was... Uh, but it was a great place to train, though. Oh, yeah. dude, I'm so glad I did it. And, I mean, there really is truth to the statement. Like, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. Uh, it's one of the most difficult places to live in the United States. And, I mean, every aspect of it is difficult, you know, from just going to work every morning, you know, like having to go wake up in Brooklyn or in Queens. I lived in Astoria for most of my time there. Uh, but like waking up in Astoria, walking 30 minutes to the train or, you know, 20 minute walk to the train yep. when it's five degrees outside, Oof. you know, getting on the train, getting into work, shedding all the gear that you got, bartending or waiting tables for 10 or 11 hours and then having to train, take the train back. And now it's nighttime and the trains have slowed down. It's like an hour wait in the subway. Right. You don't have enough money for a cab. Like all of that stuff. It's like once you get out to a place like L.A., you're like, this is a cakewalk, man, um, comparatively. Uh, although it wasn't necessarily. I got out to L.A. and then it it's was. hard in a different way. It was. Yeah. yeah. There were different landmines to kind of navigate. But then I got out to L.A. and I had nothing going on, man. I had no agent. I had no manager. I had no contacts. Uh, a buddy of mine had called me up who I went to school with at Baylor and he was like, hey, they had started a theater company in Texas. And he called me and he was like, hey, man, uh, we're doing this play. I think you'd be perfect for it. I know that you just moved out to L.A. and I know you're not really trying to pursue theater right now, but would you be interested in doing this? And at that time, I was like, yes. I just artistically, I was dead inside because right. I hadn't worked in forever. Uh, and I was probably 20. This was 2004. So I guess I was. I'm terrible at math. Uh, 28? Okay. Something like that. Uh, and I went down to Texas, did this play with these guys, and I was like, I don't know why, but I feel like this is where I need to be. And I don't. I had only been in L.A. for six months at that point. Uh, 
but got down to Texas, did this play, got an agent in Texas and decided, I think I'm going to stay here. What part of Texas are you in? I was in Dallas. Okay. And I basically ran a theater company with these. I think there was a part of me that was like, you know, I've been at this for six years. I've had success on the theater level, but I've had no success in film and television, really. And I'd kind of gotten to the place where I was almost to the point of like kind of giving up on that ever really happening. Okay. Uh, I was in this theater company, uh, putting plays on. So artistically, I was very fulfilled, but financially, I was broke. Yeah. I mean, broke. I was more broke than I was in New York. Uh, now I'm starting to get pressure from my dad. You know, my dad's like, hey, man, you know, I can't keep spotting you money here and there. Uh, I got friends of mine that are all, you know, getting married and buying houses, and I'm the guy who is bartending oh, 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 and waiting tables. And, <laughs> yeah. Oh, know, I get had that no look money. Yeah, we know. a lot. We know. Yeah. and had, Until you make you know, it. Yeah, then, oh, they and always, then they all come always out of believed oh, yeah. in you. Yeah, but I had numerous friends of mine pull me aside. You know, hey man, what are you doing? Yeah, you know, you're throwing your life away, kind of thing. Yeah, uh, and there was a part of me that felt like maybe I was. You know, maybe they were right. Uh, my dad was putting a lot of pressure on me to start making money. Uh, I I started studying real estate. I was you know getting a real estate license. You know, I know people that have gotten their real estate license in like three months, two months. I think I started studying, and it was like I just could not study. Because it's not what you wanted I to do. Didn't care, man. Yeah. I did not yeah. want to do this. So I had had like these real estate courses, and I mean, I would look at them like once a month. You know, <laughs> turn on the computer, turn it on, and just like I can't do this. I don't want to do this. And it was, I mean, it was a really sad time for me uh, because I was at this crossroads in my life. Do I want to get up what, what I love or do I want to be yeah. poor and be poor? Yeah. 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 That's a tough But I, I, I mean, I don't want to say suicidal because it never got to that place. But mm-hmm. there was a part of me that was like, I if I can't do this, I don't want to live, man. I don't want to. Like, all I wanted from the time I was like 12 years old, and I guess apparently from before then, mm-hmm. was I just wanted to act, man. Uh and so, as I said, I was artistically fulfilled with this theater company. I was directing plays and producing theater, and that was very fulfilling, but, like, I had nothing financially. Yeah. Uh, and I had a friend of mine that was down in, in Dallas with me, and she was like, you should get an agent down here. And I'm like, I don't, you know, and do what? Like, yeah. crappy commercials, <laughs> like, industrial yeah. films for... And she's like, there's more than just that down here. There are TV shows that come and shoot down here occasionally, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, all right, you know, I got this agent and kind of immediately I booked a commercial and I was like, oh, that. How do you go about getting an agent? Are you just like, is there like five of them there? Like, how do you. There's only like four or five agents in Dallas. And there's like. Just like door knocking, just sending in headshots, dude. It's it's way easier down there because I'd been in the theater community down there yeah. for a year at this point in time. Everybody knew me, and I, all the people that were in the theater community with me were like, "Derek's a good guy, and he's a great actor." Blah blah blah. So blah, people blah. vouch for you. So and, people vouch yeah. for me. I had four or five people go. I met with the biggest agent in Texas. Like, okay, not really wanting to, and right. met with them. They signed me immediately. Oddly enough, I I've 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 had some talkback sessions where I'll go to different colleges and. Kids will ask me, you know, New York or L.A.? That's the, the question, I think, for most people that are starting out. And to be honest with you, nowadays, I say, why not Texas? Why not Atlanta? Why not, yeah. you know? Nashville even is time yeah, to have some there's stuff a lot of There's a lot of places, you know, it's a smaller market. Uh, you can be a big fish in a very small pond, and it changed my life, you know? Um, I couldn't get anything going in L.A. I couldn't get through a door. 
I couldn't even get a job waiting tables when I moved out yeah. to LA. I didn't, I mean, I, w- I remember going into, uh, what was Jones, uh, Jones on, on third, yeah. mm-hmm. or not on third, Jones, uh, the, the bar on uh, uh, Santa Monica. And I walked in there and I, I was having a drink and I was talking to the bartender and I was like, hey man, are you guys hiring by chance when I first moved out here? And he was like, dude, he's like, I'm the last guy who was hired here and I've been here for seven years. And I'm like, oh my God. Like New York, I get fired from a job waiting tables and have a job at oh, noon yeah. that day. Yeah. I managed restaurants in New York and I couldn't get a job as a busboy in LA because I didn't know anybody. And it's like, there were connections. You had to give headshots just to get <laughs> jobs as a waiter in LA. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, I'm not joking. Nope. Like, that's I, the guy. I know you're not. Um, so anyway, uh, as I said, I, I signed with this agency. Uh, and I mean, it wasn't much longer. It was probably like two months later, I got a phone call from my agent. And I, I booked a, a really awful uh, indie film uh, through them. Didn't pay much, but it paid a little bit. And it was another experience, you know, another opportunity to kind of – Yeah. Uh, this green guy like who hadn't Texas Chainsaw Massacre Seven. Oh no, it was called uh, it was called Serum, uh, and I was the lead. It was like my guy gets in an awful accident, and his uncle's a doctor, and you know brings him back to life. But he's kind of like Frankenstein. It's terrible. It's a terrible film. Uh, I'm gonna watch it when I get I'm home. terrible in it. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> it's Amanda's favorite movie. Oh my gosh, popcorn. Yeah. Um, so my my agent called me and sh- uh, f- shortly after that I I booked a commercial. I did a commercial with Garth Brooks in Tulsa. Nice. Uh, and so I was like kind of working all of a sudden. Like all these other actors, they were like, "Yeah, dude, you can work in Dallas." Like there's a lot of working yeah. actors. They're not breaking the bank. There is a glass ceiling in in a place like Dallas. But there are guys making, you know, seventy, eighty, a hundred thousand dollars a year and, and more. But there's a lot of people doing that. There's a lot of actors in LA. It's like sink or swim. You're either right. on a TV show making, you know, half a million dollars or a million dollars a year, or you're literally starving. Yeah. There is no in between. And in Dallas, half the people I knew were working. They weren't breaking the bank, but they were putting they food on the yeah. table. Poor. They weren't poor. You know? And I was like, hey man, I could maybe this is not so bad. My agent calls me and she goes, uh, We've got an audition for you for uh, Friday Night Lights. And I go, what? She said, yeah, they're doing a TV pilot for uh, uh, Friday Night Lights. I go, like the book? And she goes, like yeah. Like the movie? Because like, the, the movie, movie came out first, right? The movie came out in 2004. Yeah. So here's my, my, my quick story about like Friday Night Lights and my connection to it. I, I, as I said, I, I grew up loving football. Um, I went to school in Texas. I went to college in Texas. Uh, and by the time I got there, everyone was talking about Friday Night Likes. The The book had come out in 88 or 89, and it was 94 when I got to college, and it was still fresh on a lot of people's yeah. minds. A lot of people had actually played uh, at Odessa Permian or played against Odessa Permian. Um, the book was a big, huge hit, and a big, huge hit in Texas specifically. But I never read it. I just wasn't interested for whatever reason. And then when I saw the uh, the trailers for the movie Friday Night Lights, I was like, dude, this looks like my life. This was my life playing yeah. high school football. Um, and so the trailers came out. I saw the movie, and I immediately walked over to Barnes & Noble, bought the book. And it's the only book in my life I've ever read cover to cover in one sitting. Wow. Um, it just it struck a chord with me. Uh, I had no clue at that point in time that two years later right. I was going to be auditioning for the show. But there was a part of me, honestly, when, they said, when my agent said, yeah, they're doing a, a TV show, I was – I was a little pissed off. Because you're older now? Like, what are you well, going to play? Because I was a fan of, of the book and, and the movie. 
like I'm sitting here going, what, what are they going to do? Some kind of, oh. you know, CW bullshit. Right, right. <laughs> like I was such a fan of the book and the movie that it was kind of sacrilege, in my opinion, that they were going to do this. Yeah. Uh, but then when I found out Peter Berg was attached to it, and Peter Berg is also Buzz Bissinger's cousin, and Peter Berg directed the movie. I started to feel a little bit better about it, you know. Uh, but I, of course, I'm like at this point in time in my life, I can't turn anything down. I went in for the audition. Uh, I got done. With, I had no money, man, no <laughs> money. So I was living in Dallas at the time. The audition was in Austin. It's a three and a half hour drive. I had to borrow money from a friend of mine to fill up my car with gas to get down to Austin. I had a buddy of mine that was in law school in Austin. I called him up on the phone and I said, "Hey, Lance, can I crash on your couch?" And he goes, "Hey, man." He's like, I got a, I got a studio apartment. I've got a, a, a recliner. Sorry, that's that's my Lance impersonation. That was he really good. Does, I can see him already. Does he wear a hat? A specific yeah, kind? Man. Well, I, I call him Hank the Cowdog sometimes. Uh, uh, but anyway, so Lance, thank God, let me crash on his recliner uh, when I got down there. I mean, this is like next level broke. Uh, get down there, go in for the audition. Casting director was like, that was fantastic. Uh, can you stick around one more day? Because Peter Berg's gonna actually be here tomorrow. Are you all? Are you auditioning for Billy Riggins, or is it just just audition yes. just to see what roles I was are out there? Auditioning for Billy okay. Riggins at the time, though Billy Riggins, they weren't sure if Billy Riggins was going to be an older brother or a father. So Got while it. I was in the waiting room, there were guys there in their forties, and at the time I was probably 29, 30 years old. Okay, uh, I think I was twenty nine, um, and so there were guys, you know, all different ages there. Uh, but anyway, I got done with it, um, and my audition scene was actually uh, Tim McGraw's. Two, two Tim McGraw scenes from the movie. From the movie. Okay. So I was very familiar with the material yeah. at this point in time because of the film. How old is Riggs' care that his character as you're playing it, even though you're 29? He's supposed to be, what, 25? We never said specifically, 24? but yeah, I, I always kind of felt like he was probably 25, 26. And so I was 29 when I got it. Copy. Um, okay. But yeah, so roughly in there. Okay. I, I think it was important that he was still kind of a kid himself, mm. you know? Um, but anyway, so I, uh, I, I auditioned for it. Uh, I got this call back and then I started thinking, I might, I might get this. Like, I feel like I'm really right for this. You know, it, I think there comes a point though, when you've had so many slaps in the face that you, you start to right. think, well, nothing good could possibly Yeah, it's happen. easy for cynicism <laughs> to take over. Cause... And I think I was very cynical at that point in time. I think Friday Night Lights and a lot of different things kind of changed my mindset, uh, and there were people specifically that I worked with on Friday Night Lights that made me more hopeful. Uh, a job will do that, though, yeah, to you. Yeah, it will. It will. In a good way. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, I go back in. I used to smoke back then, and I was smoking a cigarette sitting outside. Uh, so th my first audition was on a Monday. My second audition was on a Tuesday. I once again slept on Lance's recliner. Uh, and then that Tuesday morning, I go in. I'm sitting outside. I'm sitting on the curb waiting to go in, smoking a cigarette. And sure enough, like, here comes this SUV and Peter Berg hops out. And I'm like, that's Pete Berg. Mm -hmm. This is very real all of a the sudden. The great white hype. <laughs> yeah, the great white hype. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes. Uh, so anyway, Berg hops out. Did you tell him that some people think you look like? No, I did not. Oh, I no. did not. I do have a different. Did he say Mark Wahlberg? Mark. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing here? So Berg hops out, and I remember thinking, like, this is real. This is, you yeah. know, you've got a big opportunity here, and it's the biggest opportunity I've had at that point in time in my career. Like, uh, So Berg comes in. I audition. We get done, and he goes, that was really good. He goes, I want to improv some stuff with you real quick. And I'm like, cool. So we start improv And And uh, 
he's like, no, really fucking lay it on me, man. And like, we're screaming at each other, yelling at each other in the audition. I felt really, really good about it. And he goes, is that all you always how you wear your hair? And I'm like, no, nah, I mean, like I've had my hair shorter in the past. And he's like, okay, okay. Because uh, my hair was pretty long at this point in time. And, uh, and he's like, where'd you get those boots? And I was like, these are my boots. I've had these for a while. And he's like, if you get this job, bring those boots. And I'm like, okay. All right. So, so I leave. Saying... So you're telling me there's yeah. a chance. So you're saying there's I read a chance. You. I get in my car and I will say that this is about the quickest I've ever gotten feedback for anything. I got in my car. I was driving back to Dallas and about an hour and a half into the drive, I got a phone call and it was my agent saying, uh, they've put a pin in you. Um, they, uh, uh, we're waiting for studio and network approval right now, which means like Peter Berg wants you. Right. But the network has to sign off on it, and the and the uh, the studio has to sign off on it. And I will say that that three hours was like the craziest three hours of my life. My heart was. I got back. My buddy Steve was my roommate at the time. Like he and I are sitting in the living room, and we're like throwing a football back and forth. And he's like, "Dude, you got this." I'm like, "Well, it's not, you know, it's not there yet. It's not there." And finally, my phone rings, and it's my agent. She goes, "Congratulations, it's yours." And I'm like, "You know, I'm about to lose my mind. I've been in this business at this point in time for nine years." And I knew that this could be a game changer right. for me. You know, uh, this is NBC, correct? It's an NBC okay. pilot. It's still a pilot at this point yeah, in time. Right. It doesn't mean it's going to go anywhere. Right. But like, just having the fact that I was in a pilot for NBC, like that, can potentially lead to other things. You know, um, the casting director liked me. Like, I might even this might even be a springboard for me. Was to get Billy back Riggins out to LA. was Billy Riggins' character in the pilot a series regular? No. Okay. He was a co-star. Okay. But I like I'd seen the movie and I'd read the book and I'm like, you got to be an idiot if you like if I do the work that I'm supposed to do on this and I'm good, it'd be idiotic not to tell the story of these two brothers living by themselves without their parents. Right. That's just good storytelling, right. you know. So as long as I show up on time and I know my lines and I'm not an asshole to work with, like. There's potential for days and days and days and weeks and episodes. Yeah. I didn't know it was going to turn out to be what it turned out to be. But I knew that there's potential for my guy to pop up. Um, so anyway, I my agent calls and she's like, hey, you got it. And I'm like, yeah, are you serious? And she's like, yeah, that's the good news. Bad news is you're shooting tomorrow. You need to turn right back around and head back to Austin. So I literally was like, so Steve. You borrowed more money for Steve. Steve you slept you, on Lance's <laughs> recliner. This, this time they put me up. Oh, so, hey. Upgrade. Yeah, baby. So Lance hey. slept with him. <laughs> <laughs> Lance is like, this is yeah. bigger than my studio like apartment. Exactly. This exactly. thing is really paying off. So I got my per diem. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I got $75. Is that the that first time pay? you'd ever heard that word? Well, the I first time I got now. per diem. Yeah, 100%. So I got, so the way it works, I think it's, $65, $75 a day that they give you for per diem. I was going to be down there for three weeks. And somebody just shows up at your hotel door and Hand they're like, money. here's $1,000 basically. You're yeah. going to be here for three weeks. Well, I'm terrible at math, guys, but whatever. <laughs> okay, you're good at acting. 75 so times acting. three yeah. weeks. You know, yeah. It's more money at that point in time than I'd ever seen in Goodwill Hunting 2, we're going to read you for the part. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what was your first scene? Like, do you remember? Fir- like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. So my first scene is the scene where I'm supposed to be waking Tim up. It's, it's in the pilot. Actually, no. That's not true. My first scene, I get the set, and Pete Berg goes, hey, uh, I want to improv a scene real quick. And I'm like... Just you and him? Or with the what? other... No, your with, with Taylor coast- Kitsch okay. and Adrian Palicki. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, uh, so we got the scene where you wake him up in the morning. I want to do another one a little bit different where you come in with like a bowl of cereal, dump the bowl of cereal on his head. And I'm like, okay. 
and all of a sudden I could literally feel like a trickle. My guy's shirtless in the scene. Yeah. And I can feel this trickle of sweat just coming down the side of my ribs. And I'm like, oh God, like we're going to improv a scene first rather than shoot the scene that I've memorized. And like, right. So my heart's pounding, you know, uh, we get in there, we shoot it a couple of different times. They wound up not using that scene. Uh, I think because it was just a little too intense that like if if I come in in the first episode, I'm dumping a bowl of cereal on his head. Where do we go from there? Yeah. Um, so and I, I think it was smart on their on their point. But like the way Pete works, too, is like, you know, you're shooting the scene and Pete will just start yelling out improvs, you know, uh, tell him tell him this isn't Maxim magazine. Tell him it's not. No, yell it at him. Okay, okay, so you're just taking it. So you well, Pete's roll. an actor first. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it, it was kind of unnerving the first time that I shot like that. Because you've never worked, you don't work like no. that in theater. No. no, no. But it was unnerving at first, and then it was like, no, this is perfect. Especially having done other projects at this point in time, because like the way it works 99.9% .9 of the time as an actor uh, in a film is you do the scene, they yell cut. The director walks over to you and goes, hey, um, I think maybe it's this or this or this and this. Okay, cool. He gives you a note. They reset some lights. They come over. They powder your nose. Uh, they adjust another light. The camera operator does another. Bah, 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 bah. 20 minutes go by in between this, the, the last right. time that you shot your take. And now you're trying to go back to this place that you were 20 minutes ago. And the way Pete looks at it, it's like, no. If you're angry, like, I... If Let's get it the now. scene is like your yeah. your guy's angry. Yeah. All right. And you come in and say, close the friggin' door. He goes, No, nah, man, yell at him. Close the friggin' door. And then he's like, No, dude, yell at him. Close the friggin' door. So now you're, you're building, you're building, you're building, and you just keep going and going and going until he gets what he wants. You're in that space emotionally, and it's real. It's I mean, there's something to be said about it. It's an editor's nightmare. Right. Uh, but as an actor, it's like the greatest way to work, you know. You're also not worrying about marks. Like Pete always had three cameras rolling at all times. So there was never a mark that you had to hit. Mm. Um, you didn't have to worry about continuity. You didn't have to worry about, you know, in one scene, I did the, the scene and I, I took a sip of water on this line. You know what I mean? Like we're not yeah, going right. to match that later. Right. So it was as an actor coming from theater and coming from uh, theater in the round, like that's kind of what that's like. You know, it's... Uh, you're experimenting, you're playing. It's more like a rehearsal uh, than it is, you know, trying to, to match some previous take. Uh, and I, I mean, I think that's why a lot of people have this vibe that Friday Night Lights is like this very realistic, naturalistic show. It's handheld cameras, three cameras going at all times, uh, no marks, mm -hmm. and you're basically just taking the best take. It doesn't, you know, in that best take. Sounds like he's very, or, like, organic and raw. Super in terms organic. Of there's no, it's not no intellectual. Yeah. No. Get in there and, like, yeah, get just it. do it. Well, what do you the said, work. do it. Yeah, I'll, do I'll, the work. Man. We're filming it. You do it. Yeah. I'm trying to think yeah. back to the pilot. Was that, that wake David up. Fincher works. That wake up scene, was that your only scene in that pilot? There was one other scene that I had, uh, uh, I mean, like a little teeny scene where I'm at the football, you know, just stuff where I'm yeah, at, right, in, right, the, right. in the stands watching stuff. Um, so... There was one other scene where, you know, Tim is shown up drunk to practice and he's just getting slaughtered on the field. Yeah. And Billy's just in the stands pissed off. Yeah. You know, that Tim is not living up to his potential. So for the audience watching and listening, so did you shoot this like in March and then you had to wait till up front to see if it got picked up? So, and yeah, then, we shot, you know, the whole process of a TV show. We shot the pilot in February. This was, I was just thinking about it on my drive over here 17 years ago, man, because uh, it's February right now. 
uh, but almost 17 years ago to the day that we shot to the pilot. 06? Yeah, 06. Yeah. yeah. It, the show I'm not actually, good at math either. I just remember the show came out in 06. I did the math on the way yeah, here. Yeah. It took me a while, but yes. We I shot have a pocket the, abacus over there if you want to use <laughs> we could it. Probably, it would be nice, actually. But we shot the pilot in 06. Uh, the pilot didn't air till, uh October of 2007. Um, but yeah, it was, you shoot the pilot and then you're like, that was a fantastic experience. And then you got to wait till May to find out if the show got picked up. Uh, so being the cynic that I was, I was like, yeah, you know, it probably won't get picked up. And then it did get picked up. And then there's me going, well, it got picked up, but are they going to recast me? Are they going to recast me? My part out. Yeah. Are they going to write me out? Whatever, you know? And then, uh, I mean, the way I found out that I was still in it is I saw a trailer one day and I was like, there's me. And I knew I was still a part of it. And then I got a phone call probably a week later that they uh, wanted me to come down for a HR meeting. You know, they do that. It's kind of standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, even back then, you know, you have an HR meeting, talk about sexual harassment in the workplace, basically. Um, and this was in 07. Uh, yeah. And um, how long? I mean, obviously, your character starts to take off. D- did you have a sense of hey, I'm just this co-star in the script, and they're going, we really like what you're doing here, and we're going to flush that out, or did you just find it out when you got the script? No, I found it out when I got the script, basically. I mean, I knew, as they I talked said, about you, obviously, when you weren't on set. Yeah, yeah, In a yeah. good way. Yeah. Uh, there was, uh, well, there was one thing that happened in between that. Brad Leland, who played Buddy Garrity on the show, uh, he and a guy... Because um, he was in the movie also. Yeah. Small, mm-hmm. small part, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was another character on the show, a guy uh, named uh, Blue Deckard, who played Mac McGill on the show. And the first time I met Mac and Buddy, they'd been buddies for years and years and years. These guys, have been, you know, they're old Texas guys. They've been, they've been buddies for like 40 years. You know what I mean? They came up together. And when Brad, are you going to do Texas impersonations? <laughs> like five minutes. This is, my, this is my Brad Leland. He gets pissed off when I do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I love it. But he played Buddy Garrity on the show, and Brad... He goes, hey, hey, man. He goes, hey, Mac, how you doing, man? This is Derek Phillips. He plays <laughs> Billy Riggins. Uh, and Mac goes, hey, man, nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you. He goes, oh, you're the guy who, uh, you're, you're the guy whose character get, goes off the cliff in, in, uh, in the semi. And I go, what? <laughs> and he goes, episode five, like your character gets drunk and drives his car off the cliff. And I go, I, I haven't seen episode five, five. yet. And he Apparently goes, that's my last oh, episode. Yeah. He goes, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, man. He goes, but it's a cool way to go. It's a cool way to go, and I'm like, oh. And then the both of them, buddy, said, we just joshing with you, man. And I just, <laughs> oh, I'm like, dude, that ain't funny. <laughs> like, dude, this is not funny. I like. How did you get him back? Oh, I never did. That's I never did. a problem I... we need to talk about <laughs> right <laughs> now. Yeah. I have a critique on your career, and this is the one note, and it's I not about Amanda. I, I'm getting him back right now by doing this impersonation because Brad does not like the impersonation. Okay, th- uh, this counts. Go. But anyway, so. No, I didn't know how often I'd be back or what. I, I mean, we shot the pilot. I was in the second episode. I think I popped up again in like the fourth or third episode. And it was like, you know, one scene here, one scene there. And then I got a knock on my trailer door. We were shooting like episode five or six or something like that. And I get a knock and it's Kyle Chandler. And Kyle goes, have you read episode seven yet? And I go, no. And he goes, here's my script. Because, I mean, as a co-star, we would get the script way after the right, series of course, regulars yeah. did. And he goes, you got a lot of stuff in this episode. Don't screw it up. And I was like, and I'm flipping through it. And I'm like, there's my name. There's my name. There's my name. And I'm just seeing it over and over again. And I, I call my dad. And I'm like, I don't even know what I've got in this episode yet. But I know I've got a bunch of stuff. And it was this kind of, 
as I said, man, at this point, I'd been at it for nine years. So getting the show, the show going, me still being a part of the show. So your 10-year overnight success. Awesome. Yeah, basically. And then my first big episode was the seventh episode of the show. And uh, that's the big mono. Well, how many pages probably of dialogue is that? I mean, that's at least... I don't even know, man. I mean, it was just... Did he tell you not to mess it up because he was rooting for you? Like, was it your scenes with him? I, it's weird because at the time, I thought, Kyle's awesome. He's yeah. a cool guy. Like, he's giving me this script because he's he, looking out for me. If he and didn't want to help you, he wouldn't have given it to you earlier. But I he think wants the reality you to do is, well. no, it, it's twofold. Uh, it's something that I learned from Kyle as well just on set because Kyle's one of these guys like you came on as a guest star or a co-star or an extra Kyle go, hey man, how you doing? I'm Kyle Chandler. Nice mm. to meet you. He was the friendliest guy on mm. the planet. And I thought he's just the friendliest guy on the planet. But I also realized it is twofold. If I go in there and I'm number one on the call sheet and I go to you and I make you feel comfortable, you're going to deliver a better performance. Right, of course. And I think with Kyle, it was twofold. It's, hey man, I know you don't get the scripts. Uh, here's my script. So you'll have a little bit more time to prepare for this. That's good for you. On another note, it's good for the show if you have more time to prepare for it. I want you to give the best performance you can because it's going to make the show better. So that's the kind of guy that Kyle is. But uh, at the time, yeah. I just thought Kyle's looking out for me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but Kyle was, you know, Kyle. Oh, you're just, an actor. It's always about you. It's yeah, fine. of course. Uh, but yeah, man. So I. I that's be, awesome. I like to hear that, those stories. Dude, he's the best guy. Because that doesn't like, always happen. No, but I think that that's one of the reasons why that show had the success that it did and went for as long as it did mm. and got the acclaim that it did because we had people at number one and number two that were awesome. They cared about the rest of the cast, cared about the rest of the crew. Uh, and that's I've worked on shows where that's not the case. And I mean that that saying the fish heads or the fish stinks from the head down. It's 100% yeah. true. I mean, there are definitely projects that you work on, and it's like when there's infighting between other cast members, it's usually because whoever's at the top of that show yeah. is is trouble. Did you ever have a conversation with Pete Berg about, is that is that his style? Does he maybe throw improvs at you to see, especially in the audition process, like, this guy can't handle it now. He's not going to handle it on set when I I'm think yelling he does at him. It, I think he does it because that's how he works. And he knows if you're not going to be able to handle that in the yeah. audition, as you said. Like, yeah. yeah, you're not going to be able to handle yeah. that on set. Did uh, you? Ever, did he ever come out and tell you that? No, Did he ever ask you again about the boots? No, I mean, I wore the boots. Oh, okay. I brought the boots Are they like set. bronze now in your no, apartment, you, in your Here's house? something that's actually kind of funny is after the second season of the show, I wasn't sure if we were going to be coming back. So I was pretty sure that... All, the word on the street was the show was going to get canceled. Okay. There was a writer's strike. Uh, we our That's numbers right. that oh, was yeah. 2008, right before the yeah, bank collapse. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, but there was a writer's strike. Uh, our season got preempted at like episode 15 or 16 or something like that. Because at that time, TV was doing what, like 22 episodes yeah, a season? Yeah, we were doing 22 or, episodes yeah, yeah. a season at that point. Uh, we'd done 22 episodes of the first season. The second season, it was not looking good. Our ratings were never good. Uh, and NBC had just gotten a new president. NBC was kind of like, they had asked him in an interview what he thought about Friday Night Lights, and he goes, what do you think about 30 Rock? Right. So he immediately deflected. So it was Ooh. like the new guy in charge is not a big fan of the show. He's looking to get rid of us. Then the writer's strike happened, and that was kind of the nail in the coffin. So I took my boots, and wardrobe called me, and they go, where are your boots? And I go, I've I'm wearing them. them. And they go, you need to bring those back. And I go, they're my boots. 
and they had forgotten that they were my boots <laughs> because I had basically given them to them and they'd had them for two years. And I was like, well, I'm taking my boots back. Right. And they're like, those are ours. And I'm like, no, those are my boots. Like, they're... <laughs> Peter yeah. told me to yeah. bring him, yeah. and I Pete, listened. Pete I fu- told me to bring the oh, boots. Oh, sorry, Pete. I, yeah. <laughs> Pete. I call him Peter, but you call him Pete. It's okay. You, it's, you're allowed to. You've we discussed this before the show that it sounds like name dropping, and I'm like, I don't want to sound like that guy, but I don't know what else to call him. I'm just giving you a hard time. Uh, You've earned the right to call him Pete, <laughs> sir. <laughs> but yeah, I think Wardrobe thought I was stealing my boots, and I was like, they're mine. Um, and then they, did they ask, well, why'd you take them? Because we're getting <laughs> shut down. And they're like, no, here's season well, we three. Were, we were basically canceled. Oh, uh, it right. wasn't until probably four months later I got a phone call from, I was already looking for new jobs. And I get a phone call from Kyle Chandler. And he's like, did you hear what happened? And I'm like, what? And he's like, dude, they worked out a deal with DirecTV. We're coming back for seasons three, four, and five. And I'm like, what? Like, you got to be kidding me. So DirecTV had worked out a deal. Uh, where Friday Night Lights would come back for seasons three, four, and five. We'd do 13-episode seasons. Uh, and so that was just unheard of at the time. I mean, back in the day, when you got canceled, you were canceled. Yeah. There was no, oh, maybe some other network will pick, pick, you, pick up, you, yeah. you up. Like, you were done, bro. That was the end of it. So that was just overwhelming. And the idea that we knew we were coming back for three seasons. And I think the other thing, too, is I'd become a fan of that 13-episode structure through shows like The British Office and things like that. Right. Um, I think it's it's as much as I love shows like The West Wing and all these other wonderful shows that came before it, th- that 22 episode season is kind of you got like four or five episodes up front. This is how they used to structure it. It's mm-hmm. like you, the first four or five episodes set up a plot point, and then they don't talk about that plot point for like another 10 episodes, and then sweeps week comes and then you start talking about those plot points that you originally talked about in the first four episodes so there was always a 10 episode filler basically where mm-hmm. nothing is really changing massive plot or story wise and then they went back to those original stories and then they ended the season with those story points that they had originally gotcha. brought up in the first four or five episodes mm-hmm. uh so this gave the writers this opportunity to kind of truncate the season and now every episode means something I think it's less stress for the writers too, and the quality. I mean, you're also not treading water, so no. you're, you're really grabbing the audience right away. And it's also less them. money for the network now. They're yes. shooting 13 episodes instead yes. of 22, and it's less money for everybody involved. But right, at the same true, time, true. it's uh, I think on a storytelling basis, I think the quality goes. Probably. The quality goes up. Yeah, you're not having to just literally just crank out episodes. Did you ever get an actual call from a your agent or P or whoever that said? Like now you are a series regular, or you just gradually got more and more dialogue. It, it and... was negotiations every year. You know oh, what okay. I mean. And so, like after the first season, I had buddies of mine that were in the business that were like, "You're a what? <laughs> They're paying you what? You know what I mean?" And I was like, "Dude, I love this show." I remember specifically calling my buddy Paul Edelstein, who uh, you guys might know from uh, the show Prison Break and a ton of other stuff. But Paul uh, was kind of like my mentor. And I called Paul on the phone, and I told him what was going on in the first season. And he goes, how confident are you that you would find another show like Friday Night Lights tomorrow? And I you're said, like, you're like, I'm, I'm not, that I'm com- not, not yeah. as confident as I was. Like, I love this show. He's like, I- I'm pretty confident that I would work again, but I don't think it would. I'd right. work on a show that's this caliber, this quality. And he goes, then you really don't have. And he said, what do you have lined up right now? And I said, nothing. And he goes, then basically you can call their bluff. Yeah, yeah. But they may just say, yeah. sorry, buddy, and not bring you back. Yeah. You're going to uh, get killed in that semi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Going off the cliff <laughs> yeah. now. And I'd just seen it from, you know, as I said, Paul was on prison break, and we uh, there was a guy named Lane Garrison that was on their show, yep. and Lane had asked for more money, and I saw how easily they can write you off a TV show. Yeah. So, you know, it was always one of these things. I'd go in there, I'd ask for more money, they'd make some concessions, they'd do some stuff. But it wasn't until the third season of the show um, – 
I had booked a recurring role on uh, the TV show Saving Grace, the Holly okay. Hunter show. Uh, and I had booked a recurring role on that, and Friday Night Lights called on like a Tuesday, and it was the start of the third season. Uh, and they called and they said, uh, yeah, so we want to, and I had also become friends with some of the writers at this point in time. And the writers that I'd hung out with or seen like in between our hiatus were like, dude, you got a ton of story this year. So I knew going into it, like, oh. you guys have a lot planned for me. So when they came with my, you know, upgraded but still crappy salary, I was like, yeah, we're not doing that this year. <laughs> uh, but they called my you. manager and they said, so they, it was like a Tuesday, they needed me to come down for like a Friday and I was going to be there for like two weeks or something like that. Uh, and they call my manager and they said, yeah, so we need Derek on Friday. And my manager goes, Derek's working on another show. She goes, what do you mean he's working on? Her name's Nan Bernstein, our line producer on Friday Night Lights. And uh, <laughs> my manager goes, Derek's working on another show. And Nan goes, what do you mean he's working on another show? And my manager, Lena, goes, Derek books Saving Grace. He's got a recurring role on there, so he's, he's not going to be around for Friday Night Lights. And there was, like, silence on the other end of the line. And Nan goes, we'll call you back. So, like, an hour later, we get a phone call. She goes, okay, we're going to guarantee Derek 12 out of 13 episodes. We're going to pay him this much. We're going to uh, take care of his travel. Saving grace what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, at that point That in was time, your saving grace. They came around. <laughs> Ooh, uh, good transition. Yeah, that was a good transition. <laughs> yeah. I like that. So, it was, you know, I mean, like any no negotiation, you kind of have to have something lined up. And you have to be I willing had, to say no. Yeah, and once I had something else lined up, it, it gave me a little leverage. Um, and it kind of worked out perfectly, except for the fact that they called me, as I said, on a Tuesday and they were like, we need him. And, but they were like, we're going to need him for the next four months then. And I was like, well, then I got to leave now. Right. <laughs> so yeah. My manager is like, yeah, they're going to fly you out. And I'm like, I can't be gone and I can't be in Texas for four months without a car. Yeah. She's like, baby, you can't drive down there. Like, I'm like, if I leave right now, I can. So I had a roommate at the time. He was working that his day. Name, no. I love that you told her, like, oh, Steve and I can make it there in four days. Like, you're like, don't <laughs> oh, tell this me. This is my buddy DJ at the oh, time. D and I call sorry, my DJ. buddy DJ and I go, dude, I, uh, I, I'm i going to be leaving. And he's like, I, I'm like, I'm going to be out of town. And he's like, okay, cool. When are you coming back? And I'm like, uh, in, in four, four months. months. <laughs> and he's like, Ser I'm like, sublet it if you want to, but I'm gone. And literally, he was at work. I packed up all my stuff that I could fit in my car and uh, drove down to Texas on a, you know, what's basically like a 24 hour drive uh stopped once got a hotel yeah literally rolled into town on fumes you know like half awake uh and then shot while you guys were in austin was, were you pretty much the only game in town as far as like what was being yeah. shot yeah yeah i mean for most of the time that we yeah. were there I, I, there were a couple of times where you know tarantino was working on stuff so there'd be times you'd be flying back to la and mm -hmm. like tarantino would be on the flight robert rodriguez had a student robert there. rodriguez right, yeah, yeah. was on the flight yeah. with you you yeah. know uh, Who was he shooting at the time? Do you know? Was it Jenga? Uh, it, I can't remember, man. Um, it doesn't God. matter. Yeah, it I'm does. just curious. Yeah. It's, I can't remember. I can't remember. He might have been helping Rodriguez out with something at that point in time, to be honest with you. And it might have been the, uh, what was the uh, uh, Grindhouse films? Oh, okay. I think it might have been Grindhouse. But what? I can't remember. But now, do you have multiple houses? Are you flying to multiple? Oh no! States? I mean, so they would put me up in a place, and so I would just, you know, I, I kind of lucked out. Um, found a guy who was recently divorced and uh, had this sick pad in Austin. He was like, I just got to get out of this house. Like too many memories. And I was like, sweet. <laughs> Sorry about that. So but I'll take it. I found this place online. And part of the deal with me coming down there was that Nan Bernstein, our line producer was supposed to help me find housing. And at worst case scenario, they were paying me a housing stipend. 
Uh, and if the house, if I couldn't find anything that fit within the housing stipend, then they were going to have to put me in uh, corporate housing. But corporate housing, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, corporate housing kind of sucks. It's like, it's massively expensive, overpriced. I don't mm-hmm. even know if it still exists in the way that it used to. Like Airbnb kind of ran it out of business. Out, yeah. But like, even the the corporate housing that they put the the series regulars up in, on Friday Night Lights, like the first two seasons or first season of the show, it was like, these apartments kind of suck. Yeah. So I found this place. It was a three bedroom apartment with a hot tub and like, or three bedroom uh, uh, townhouse. townhouse. Yeah. And I showed Nan Bernstein, our line producer. I'm, she's like, you, okay, so let's talk about housing for you. And I go, oh, I already found a place. She goes, what'd you find? I go, oh, let me show you. Like I, in your budget, in their budget? Yeah. yeah. It was within my stipend? housing stipend. Yeah. It was like $500 less than my stipend. I was like $2,000 a month or something like that. And I was like, yeah, these are the pictures. And she's like, that's that's nicer than where I'm staying. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you, Nan. Sorry about that. Maybe you should pay yourself some more money. <laughs> you can do that. You have the authority. Yes. Um, Did the critical success of Friday Night Lights help you get other jobs? Yes. Okay. Immediately. Well, that was the other thing, too, is that. I, you you have a guest. I'm sorry. At oh. one hour, she comes and oh. tells us it's an hour. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. There's a dog in the, I guess you guys can see it. There's a dog in the studio. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, what was the question again? Did you get success more around, su- success around Friday nights? Yes. 100%. Get you more work. Uh, so as I said, I had a local agent in Texas. And after that first season of the show, I was like, this is a good springboard and a good time for me yeah. to get back out to L.A. Uh, and as we were literally wrapping the first season of the show, the casting director for, for Friday Night Lights, the L.A. casting director, was a woman named Linda Lowy. Linda Lowy's a uh, huge casting director. Is it Lowy Johnson? Is that the – no? I'm not sure okay. about that. I'm not sure. Linda Lowy, okay. Yeah, but Linda Lowy was a casting director for Grey's Anatomy. Oh, uh, that's why I know. Uh, okay. Every Shonda yeah. Rhimes show, Got basically. Uh, and had just won the Emmy Award for right. Friday Night Lights. But Linda pull, pulls me aside at the uh, ending of the first season. Like, we had, like, a little get-together um, after the first season, like, a, lo- a little first season rap party. And she goes, what's your deal? I, uh, who are you? Like, what's going on? Yeah. And she, you know, because I kind of came out a little of nowhere. <laughs> but she didn't know who I was. You know, it didn't make any sense to her. Like, why are you in Texas? What's going on? Are you coming out to L.A.? And I said, yeah, I'm actually moving out to L.A. Uh, I think we wrapped on, like, April 1st mm-hmm. or April 2nd or something like that. And I was in L.A., like, five days later. Uh, but as I'm driving out to LA, I'd swap numbers. She goes, do you have an agent? And I said, no, she goes, we'll take care of that when you get out here. So now I've got like one of the biggest casting directors in LA looking out for you, trying to help me out. It was like tale of two, two, two cities. Like my, my first go around in LA where I couldn't get anything going on as opposed to like the second time in LA, it's like the, they rolled out the red carpet for me. So I'm driving out to LA. I've got my Blackberry with me and I get this phone call from a 310 number and i'm like hello and they're like hey this is linda lowey's office uh just seeing if you were in town um we've got an audition for you for gray's anatomy tomorrow are are you around and i'm like i'm in phoenix linda gets on the phone she's like i need you here tomorrow can you be here at 9 a.m tomorrow and i'm like yeah she's like where are you right now i'm like i'm in phoenix like i'm probably like i I don't know how many hours away it is i'm gonna drive straight seven or eight edition seven or eight hours yeah Yeah, i'm gonna drive straight to la it was probably like 3 p.m phoenix time i got into la like i want to say one or two o'clock in the morning looked over this audition came in at like nine o'clock in the morning uh it was like a tuesday afternoon or something like that go in audition on tuesday on Thursday, I'm working on Grey's Anatomy. Jeez. And I'm it's like... It's a lot different when people are like rooting for you, yeah. but then they also... Yeah. Night and day. Yeah. Night and day. Yeah. And I mean, it's... Also, 
you've cut your teeth for 10 yeah, years. Listen, you put yeah, in the work. You, I mean, I did put in the work. Yeah. yeah. It's not, it's not like they're just swinging just cause, but it was, I mean? I mean, night and day, as I said, like uh, immediately, uh, Linda had meetings for me set up with different agencies and different managers. Uh, I can't express enough gratitude towards Pete, Pete Berg and Linda Lowy both. I mean, I would have no career if it weren't for those right. two. And there was multiple times. I mean, Linda is one of the few people in this business that still will just bring me in offer only on stuff. Uh, she's been a huge champion of mine, and I'm so completely and totally grateful to her for whatever career I've had. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, immediately working on Grey's Anatomy, which at the time was the most popular show on television. I think it was their third season. Was she the casting director in Austin? No. Oh. So the casting director in Austin was a, a, a different person, but yeah, Linda. Got it. But Linda has to sign off on. Got it. Yeah. You know. Um. So yeah. So post post uh, Friday Night Lights, mm -hmm. you did Forty Two. Was yeah. that the first movie you did? That was my first. Yeah, like studio, studio feature film. film. Yeah. 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 And, and then, my only one at this point in time. Yeah. But yeah. And then where did that take you? Because I know you have like a pretty decent voiceover career kind of going on right now. That was something that kind of came out of left field, man. I. uh Oddly enough, I got that agent in Texas, and I was like, you know, guys, I, I, I'd kind of like to do some voiceover work. And they're like, yeah, we don't really see you as a voiceover guy. So I couldn't get a voiceover because agent they didn't in like Texas. your voice? Or you're saying I have a face for radio? Like, what's <laughs> well, the problem? Well, the thing is, I mean, I've always thought, like, look, I do a lot of different voices and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but you're like, good at them. But I, I don't have, like, one of those, like, you right. know, in a world kind yeah, of voices. Don LaFontaine yeah, in a world. Not, it's not that. <laughs> And I feel like at the time there was a little bit more emphasis put on that as far as voiceover was concerned. I'm like, but there's video games I could do, you know? Like, I know I'm not, I don't have an announcer voice and I'm not going to ever have an announcer voice, but like, not everything is announcer voice. Uh, and so I, I kind of, when I got out to LA, I was like, I do want to try to get into some voiceovers. Mm -hmm. um, uh, oddly enough, so here's a roundabout thing. So Brooke Langdon, who was on the show with us uh, on Friday Night Lights, is the person who got me my roommate when I first got out to L.A., uh, a girl named Catherine Kendall. Catherine Kendall had an agent. Catherine Kendall was in the movie Swingers. Um, oh. She was uh, Dorothy in Swingers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Catherine got me my first voiceover agent when I got out here, and I immediately signed with, uh, uh, I can't even remember what the name of the agency was. They, they, they disbanded at this point in time. Uh, but through them, there was a point person that I had in that agency who ended up at a different agency, Vox, right. and that's who my current representation is. But it was one of these things where, you know, I would go in for all these announcer uh, voiceovers. I never booked any of them. And then video games started to uh, – I feel like video games 20 years ago, they just have tech guys just do the voice right, work. Right. Uh, and then they started to – sound effects. <laughs> yeah, they, they were started to rely a little bit more on act actual actors to do voiceover work. And I kind of got in, not on the ground floor, but probably about five years after that it started and started doing some, I booked like my, voice, my first voiceover gig, uh, a game called Dishonored. Uh, and it was fascinating to me because like as a voiceover actor, you get to play these characters that you'd never get to play in a million years. And so I, uh, I'd saw, I saw the rendering for this character and it was like this kind of squirrely looking guy who looked, you know, the rendering of the character looked like Steve Buscemi, but even thinner. Uh, and he was supposed to be like this aristocratic, effete uh, character. So I was like, I thought maybe he sounded a little bit like this, yeah. you know. And so I had this, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. kind of voice. And I was like, I would never get an opportunity in no. a million years to play something like this on camera. No, Walt, Mark Wahlberg cannot do that. As a voice actor, <laughs> I can do that, you know. So that was uh, 
that was fun, man. And so from there, it was like one voiceover. That's that's an industry in and of itself that is, it, it's very difficult to ba- to break into the on camera side of things, but voiceovers is even more. Oh yeah, like it is a impenetrable wall of people that have been with each other for like. But right I know now, people work fifteen years trying to just get in a yeah. loop group. Yeah. It's tough, man. And it's hard because it's very few and it pays well. And if you're in, it's like your bartender friend who's like, I've been here seven years and I haven't left yet. Yeah, it's crazy, man. And it's it's funny because like I started booking voiceovers and then there was like one right after another. And and it wasn't until I actually looked at the person that was behind me getting cast in every one of these. It was almost always the same casting director. But casting directors also produce voiceovers and also direct voiceovers. And it was like there was one person attached to almost every project that I had worked on. And it was kind of crazy. Mm. Yeah. So your um, character that's in The Last of Us, are you in The Last of Us, the first one, the part two? or I'm in the first one and the second one. So if this, if they do a season two on HBO, do you think you'll uh, you think they'll bring you in? I don't think so, man. I don't, and I don't want to talk about it f- because I'm, I'm a big fan of the TV show right yeah. now. I haven't been asked to come in and play anything on the TV show, which is kind of driving me nuts. My uh, little sister works at Naughty Dog. And I'll see uh, if she can put in a call for you. I worked not, with Naughty Dog. She's yeah. not important, has no power, but I'll still ask <laughs> yeah. her. Apparently she's going to be someday. Do someday. Neither do I. It's a great company. Jaden, this man. is a shout out for you. This is the first time I'm mentioning <laughs> you on my podcast, but you know, I'll throw a little love at you. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, it was. Uh, I, I was in the. I don't want to spoil anything because I don't know where they're going with right, the right, TV right, show. Right. And for those right. people that haven't actually played the games. Yeah. I, I can't even talk about who the character was that I play because it is kind of a massive spoiler. Uh, but yeah, that was the first time I did motion capture, oh, wow. um, which was really cool. Uh, it's it, That is like doing theater. Also, you are safe. No one watches or listens to us. So <laughs> you will be But good. people do watch The Last of Us, and the people that do listen to this show are going to be pissed off if you tell them what happens. Um, but yeah, man, uh, that that was just a cool process. The just an opportunity to, to do mocap was fun, man. I, I really enjoyed it. And also, you're on clearly our podcast, but talk a little about a little bit about the one you have going on. Yeah, man. So uh, probably about two years ago, my buddy Steve Walters, who was my roommate when I was living in Dallas, uh, who oddly enough wound up playing a part on Friday Night Lights. He played a character named Glenn Reed on the show. Okay. Uh, but Steve has had a lot of success as a podcaster. And Steve, about two years ago in the middle of the pandemic, called me and was like, hey, man, would you ever be interested in doing a podcast about Friday Night Lights? And I said, you know, I mean, I was such a fan of that show and it was such a special thing. I don't really want to, I don't know, I'm not trying to do some like gotcha podcast where right. we talk about like the ins and outs of the show and who was dating who and what blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm not interested in that. And he's like, that's not what I want this to be. He said, I just want this to be essentially like a love letter to the show. Mm. And I said, you know, I might be interested in something like that. And it was in the middle of the the pandemic, and I was like, you know, I don't know when I might work again, so this might be a good opportunity to do this. Uh, And I hadn't watched the show in probably 10 or 11 years at that point in time. I I mean, since the last episode aired. Uh, And started re-watching it um, once we started this podcast. I agreed to do the podcast. Uh, And it's Stacey Rostano, who played my wife on Friday Night Lights, uh, the two of us, uh, and it's been bittersweet, man. It, it's uh, going back and rewatching it. Number one, you look at how, like how young you were and how time just flies in that respect. But then, it was such a monumental thing in my career, and such a one. Mm-hmm. I have so many fond memories of it, and so many great friends that were made from that show. Uh, 
did you have to call any of them and be like, hey, guys, oh, yeah. like, like yeah. what do you guys think about doing this? Like, oh, not that. You know I, mean, I mean, I did talk to Taylor Kitsch yeah. about it. And I was like, what do you think? And he was like, why would you want to do that? And I yeah. said, well, number one, there's some decent money involved. But, like, on top of that, it's just the fact that, like, I see all these other people doing podcasts for these shows and I mean I don't want this to be a gotcha thing right I do think I, I did just, I wanted to get it I wanted to make sure that if I did this that number one that these guys would want to come on the show uh, and that this is something that you know other castmates would be interested in and yeah. not pissed off that yeah, we're doing that's what, yeah. you know um, and so I got the kind of the okay not that I needed his okay specifically but just kind of as a friend I wanted to kind of pick his brain on right. it uh, and so when we started it, it was, it's really been friggin' lovely, man. I, I went into it skeptical and hesitant and scared because I'd never done a podcast. That was, I mean, I did have a little bit of a panic, panic attack before the first episode. Like, what the hell am I supposed to talk yeah. about? You know? Uh, and then once we kind of created a structure for it, then it, you know, take notes. Yeah. I'm yeah. not saying you take notes, no, but like you, you yeah, take notes yeah, and yeah. then you, you write down what you want to talk about yeah. and then you let it go organically from there. But uh, it was, um, it's been so rewarding, man. Just going back through this show, remembering all these fantastic memories and then talking to people that sometimes, you know, there there's some guys that, you know, we all got along with each other, but I may not have talked to you or seen right. you or had a lot of scenes with you. And, and so, and then the fun part of just the, I get to ask questions now that I never got to, never felt comfortable asking before. Like, how did you get started? How was you, you know, how did you start out in this business? Well, did you find that a lot of your castmates probably had a similar journey story to you? Like they all were, I mean, no one other, I mean, Kyle Chandler, like they always. Yes and no. I mean, Kyle's story is completely and totally different than mine. I mean, Kyle like got picked up by ABC and was put on contract before he was even out of college. You know, like that's completely and totally different story than my story, you know. Uh, a lot of the younger guys on the show like struggled for two or three years. It wasn't nine years, you know. Yeah. Um, but that show seemed to have a lot of like fir- not first time, a lot actors, of first time, but act- a lot of like you're seeing them for the first yes. time. Yeah. yeah, a lot of first, a lot of people that that were found on that show right. for sure. Uh, but then there were people like Jesse Plemons, who was a child actor, and Jesse been acting for you know. Jesse yeah. was like old hat at that point in time. Yeah. Kids showing up to set at 18 with a corncob pipe. I mean, he <laughs> really is like an yeah. old soul. Yeah. Uh, and I, I jokingly say that about him, but it would, I forgot sometimes how how much older I am than Jesse mm. because he carries himself in, in such a professional way. Uh, I remember Jesse had just turned 21. I think it was the fifth or fourth or fifth season of the show. And we were buddies and he called me up one night and he was like, hey man, you want to go grab a drink somewhere? And I was like, of course. I forget that I'm 35 and Jesse was like 21 and we go to this bar and we're hanging out and he's like, Hey, I just got a text message. There's a party uh, over at such and such. Do you want to come with? And I'm like, yeah, why not? And we go to this party and I walk in and I go, Oh God. Oh no. Are it's you a college old? party. Oh no. And everyone there is like 21, 20. And I'm like, I got to get out of here. And he's like, what's <laughs> wrong? And I'm like, dude, yeah, I'm, I, I can't be the creepy old guy. Yeah, at I feel party? like the creepy old guy. And I was with my buddy or I texted my buddy Joey and I'm like, I'm at this party with Jesse right now. And he's like, I'm like, it's all college kids. I said, I feel like a creep. He's like, you are a creep. <laughs> <laughs> and so I literally was like, I got to get out of here. And like I left and Jesse's like, what's the problem? And I'm like, dude, I'm way too old to be here. Uh, and it, like, I was driving a car when all these children yeah. were born. Yeah, man. <laughs> it was weird. It was weird. But like it, it it's. That is one of the strange things about this business, though, is that age is kind of just a construct that doesn't... 
I remember, as I said, when I was doing The Winner's Tale, I was 22, 23 years old, maybe 24 when I did that play. But I was the youngest person in that play by 10 years. And then the, the next youngest person was 35. And then it was like a big jump from like 35 to like 45 to 70. Wow. And one night we had a pajama party. And like, but it's, it's this weird thing where like as actors, like I'm hanging out with people that are my parents' age, but they don't feel like my parents' age. Right. I had a college professor, a guy named Stan Demon, that always said, you should always strive to be childlike and never childish. Right. And that is something in this business. It's one of the things I love about this business. Uh, I think it's kept me younger, kept, keeps me feeling young. You know, it, We're still playing, man. Yeah. I, I, I didn't used to think of it this way, but now I'll be sitting there on set sometimes. I was literally shooting this film in Oklahoma a couple of years back, and I'm like in a river at 4 o'clock in the morning in a wetsuit, and it's like 20 degrees outside, and there's a snake that's supposed to slither by and go up my shoulder. <laughs> it's moments like that. You're like, I bet none of my friends in high school are doing <laughs> yeah, this right no. now. You know what I mean? Like, Not it's absurd what we do, the, and it's. But I love it. I mean, I friggin' love it. I can't imagine. But when doing you were else. Uh, four or five, and you stacked up sofa cushions and you made a fort, was that weird? No, of course not, right. man. Did when your I parents was jump with... in there with you? Why? No. Is... It is weird, no. but it's it's actually not. No. No, no, no child needs it's to be taught beaten how to out of us yeah. as we oh, age. Yeah. You know this this idea that, and and for good reason. I mean, you can't survive in a society where people say what they want to say when they want to say it, however they want to say also, it. Also, you know, you don't make a lot of money building fort houses on cushions. <laughs> yeah. So it's good true. for you. You wanted to make some money, yeah. but you could still retain the play part of it. I think. Yeah, and that's. I mean, that is the greatest part of this business. I, I love it. It's fantastic. I mean, just re- I'm on. Uh, I have a recurring role on NCIS Hawaii. And I mean, I still like. And you, you want know. to invite Tony and I with you Let's out to set? Come, Dude, come on out, man! So generous you of you. Assistant? You know, I, I appreciate that. They give me my fake gun, and I've got my badge, <laughs> and I'm like, this is the coolest <laughs> thing on the planet, man. Like, I get to. There's Twizzlers over at Craft Service. Oddly I enough, love... <laughs> the woman who produces our podcast is dating a guy who's in the FBI, and oh, he, no. it drives him nuts because yeah. every time I'm together, I'm like, as a fellow FBI agent, I can talk. And he's like, "You're not in the FBI, <laughs> dude." And I'm like, FBI. "I kind of am." <laughs> And I got a badge to prove it. And technically, <laughs> I'm higher up the rung than you are because I'm an ASAC. And, and, and I you got know, a water pistol to go with. And I, they give me a fake rubber gun. Here's my badge. He's like, dude, we haven't used those badges in 20 years. I'm like, but maybe we just do That's things a little different. We do them a little differently in Honolulu. How do you know how we do yeah. it in Honolulu? And he's like wanting to pull his hair out every time we we, we get together. But um, but I, he's also been huge help for me because I call him and I'm like, hey, man, what does this mean? <laughs> There, what is this word? Is this an acronym? He's How like, do I say duh. this? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not allowed duh. to tell you that, or I'd have to kill you. So, duh. other other than I was actually that was my next thing. Other than yeah. NCIS, NCIS Hawaii, mm-hmm. what do you have on like the horizon? Like, can you tell us, or yeah, are you just, uh, are you just auditioning like the rest of us? Auditioning like, like the okay. rest of us. I mean, there's plenty of auditioning, yeah. but uh, I've also uh, voiceover wise, there's a uh, TV show that I worked on called Blood of Zeus that got picked up for a second and third season. I'm actually going in later next week to go record uh, some of the lines. We've already finished the second season, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Uh, recording it. I don't know when it's going to come out, but it was and a that's huge, on It's what? on Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. Uh, and I play the son of Zeus. Uh, so that's been really cool. We just finished, as I said, the second season. I'm going to start in on the third season uh, this week. Uh, and there's also a game. This is the problem sometimes with voiceovers is that there's a lot of stuff that I'm working on right now that I can't talk about. Got it. It's okay. And it's really annoying. But like, So come back on when it's yeah. done and you can't yeah. talk about it. We'll be yeah. here. Uh, 
but the problem is like there's there's a project that I've been working on for three years right now, and I mean I can't say anything about it, but it's so cool and nice. yes, yeah. and I get to do mocap on it, and we can turn these yeah. cameras off. Yeah. <laughs> after fact, the interview, I can, here in after the minutes. interview, maybe. And then you're, um, the podcast is still going. Podcast is still going. Okay. We're can in you, season um, four. Give me right a now. give me a selfish plug. Just where can people oh, yeah. find you? So you guys can find us on any any place you find podcasts. But the name of the podcast is called Clear Eyes, Full Hearts. Uh, and it's a Friday Night Lights rewatch. Um, and and uh, you know, you're into season four. Or at least yeah. that's what I listened to last night. Yeah, we're in. We're midway through season four. I think season four, episode eight, is the episode that we're officially on right now. And it's you and me and Stacey Orestano. But it's all the cast of Friday Night Lights will come back and make an appearance on this show. We've had Taylor Kitsch, Adrian Palicki, Zach Gilford, Jesse Plemons, uh, and I mean a host of other guys. Charles, host of but other. You, you've also had writers on. You've we've had, had writers. Yeah. We've had line producers. Bernstein, right. who I, I talked about, who, you know, I mean, I can't sing her praises enough because if it weren't for Nan Bernstein and her, you know, not paying me what I was worth, the show probably wouldn't have survived because she's the one who kept it running. She's the one who kept us under budget. Not because of me. Yeah. No. <laughs> but just in no. general. Yeah. You know? I, I'm going to turn his mic down. I ran a theater <laughs> company for two years, as I said, and we had a lot, you know, in, in theater, it's a, uh, uh, oh, what's the... Managing director is what the term is. And this is the person who, when you come in and say, okay, so I want a rotating stage that's going to have, you know, a, a, a 40, we need 40 flies coming. And she's like, okay, we're not doing that. <laughs> and we had a woman named Barbara Bowman who kept us in line. And that's the same thing that Nan Bernstein would do. I would imagine at the start of every season, these directors would come in and go, we want this and this. And she would go, yeah, we're not doing that. Yeah, can't and it's the reason the show lasted as long as it did because of that. Do you ever get that theater bug again? Like, would you go back to New York and do a play for six, eight months? I would uh, if it was the right thing. I'm sure my manager and agent would not be thrilled with that. Right. But yeah, I, I would. And I was, I literally, uh, my friend Azita uh, just came back from New York. She was doing a play on Broadway and we went and had dinner the other night. And I was, that little, it was, I was itching. I was yeah. itching. Yeah. I was itching. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, as we uh, or we'll wrap this up here in just a few minutes. The, usually, what I, we do for the final question is say, mm -hmm. "Well, if if you hadn't have made it as an actor, what would you have done?" But oh, from yeah. listening to you now, I know that <laughs> never like, would have happened. Yeah, I would have blown my brains out. So let's n we can pivot to our <laughs> podcast. Um, he would have been an NFL football. Player. Yeah, yeah would have been, been an NFL, NFL football, football player. Would have been a kicker at five foot eight, one hundred and seventy hey, pounds. Do you? When you were saying that earlier, I thought of that line from Rudy where he's like, "You're a hundred. You're five foot nothing, hundred and nothing, with hardly a speck of athletic talent." And I'm like, "Yeah, I know." What's your point? And dude, I'm not kidding when but I But he sit, still played at Notre Dame. That movie came out when I was in high school and me and like five other guys that were on the football team went to go see it. And while everyone was a little teary-eyed at the end of it, I was like snot bubble teary-eyed because it was like, this is my story, man. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> but I'm so glad that I had, I, I mean, this is a pivot. We can talk about this. Like that I was out there on that football team and that I had the wherewithal to get run over every single day. I never started. But I, I stuck it out all four years being the, the smallest kid on the team, got run over. But it was such an analogy to life, man. Like, I'm so glad that I did it. Yeah. And it, it sports had a major effect on my life. Uh, that, that whole concept of you're going to get your ass kicked and you're going to pick yourself back up and mm -hmm. you're going to keep moving. Uh, and I really do, in my career as an actor, I've really enjoyed the, the opportunities that I've had to work with other people that have a sports background. I think that's why Taylor Kitchen and I got along so well. Yeah. Is there's a psychology to ath athletes that yeah. I, I respect. Well, there's a team aspect, especially mm -hmm. guys who have played team sports. This idea that it's not about me, but also yeah. Yeah. cooperation to yeah. achieve. A I'm goal. gonna bust my ass, yeah. but I'm I'm also busting my ass to make you know it's 
Kyle Chandler coming up to me the first day that we ever had a scene together and him saying, what do you need from me in this scene? People don't do that. Yeah. Number one on the call sheet doesn't go to number 13 on the call sheet and say, what do you need from me? Well, the good, the ones with if good character wants, do. The good want, ones do. And he wanted the show to succeed, yeah. like, like you said earlier. Yeah, but it's the, the good ones do that. Yeah. You know? And I think that that's, that's why those performances on that show still read and still resonate. Right. Because when you were on that show, you were calm and cool. You yeah. Know? Like, I've been on shows where you're the guest star and nobody talks to you and you're sitting there in the corner. It's nerve-wracking, man. Uh, so, yeah, kudos to Kyle on that. Brilliant. Yeah. So you, you still get that real estate license also. I could. You want to keep <laughs> oh, man. writing that out. It's only, I went 20-something years at this point. Or you could be an accountant because yeah. you're really good at, it, you're at math. Really good. Real good at math. <laughs> yeah. Real good at math. In fact, I'm so bad at math, I think I said originally If we write a feature film for ago. you that where you're good at math, will yeah. you be on it? Of course. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That would be the biggest stretch of my career. Uh, Beautiful I did Mind say, 2. It's coming out. Don't Friday worry. Night Lights was 17 years ago. It was 16 years ago. I got the numbers wrong. It was uh, the show. Was, we shot the pilot in 2007, not oh, 2006. Okay. Oh. So. For all those people at home, they're going to correct That were pulling us. their hair out? Yeah. All right, well, yeah. now He's they have wrong. to stand corrected. He's an idiot! He's a freaking idiot! <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going to wrap this up here. Here we go. Uh, well, first of all, Derek, thank you yeah, for coming so on much, the show. Brother. Dude, thank you guys for having me, man. Yeah. It's been fantastic. Thank you for the insights, and yeah. we will definitely be interested in having you back when you could talk about more voiceover. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, everybody, um, thank you for tuning in to uh, another episode of So How'd You Get Here. Um, check out our stuff. We're on Google, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Spotify iTunes, YouTube. YouTube, watch us, text us, text like about us, us. like us. Um, please check out um, some of our shows, and uh, we will see you next week, all right?